Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hi there, witches and weirdos, and welcome to another episode of Real Magic. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and I'm so excited for you to join us today because we're talking about a movie that pretty much everyone I've talked to on the show has mentioned as something that defined their magical childhood or that was a big influence on them. And if they didn't mention it, I know it still was because we are talking finally about Labyrinth, the classic Jim Henson movie starring David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly. And to talk about this goblin fairy-tastic movie, there was no one else I could call except for one of our favorite guests, Morgan Daimler. Morgan was so excited to talk about this and I was so excited to talk with them. So this is a pretty long, fun conversation and I really do hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, let's talk about Labyrinth. You remind me of the babe. What babe? Babe with the power. What power? Power of voodoo. Who do? You do. Remind me of the babe. <laughs> what? A goblin babe. <laughs> well... Welcome back, Morgan Daimler. You're our first three-time guest. That's uh, it's so appropriate for our topic tonight, too. I, it's it's awesome. I'm very excited to have you. And you know, you know, don't want to make anyone else feel jealous, but like your episodes that you've been on are some of our like most listened to. Aww. People love love these topics. And I think people will be very excited today because as you know, we, I like to ask people what their favorite stuff was growing up and the labyrinth is one of the top answers. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was just saying before we started recording, as soon as you were like, how would you like to talk about labyrinth? I was like, all caps. Yes. How quickly can I get there? It's one of like the defining movies for our generation, especially like our, you know, subclass of like witchy, weird, queer people from who grew up in the 80s and 90s, like Labyrinth yep. is the movie that made us as weird as we are. Yep. Yeah. It checks all those boxes. It really, really does. It's such a weird, wonderful, great film. How do you remember when you first saw it? When did you first see it? I do. So this is actually a funny story given, you know, my background. I'm, I'm always been kind of into witchy, fairy uh, odd thing. Um, I actually did not see Labyrinth until I was in high school. I'm trying oh, to wow. remember like a sophomore or junior. And I was already a huge fan of Brian Froud. Yeah. As we all of, must be as, as, as we witchy all people. Be. Like we'll talk it's about required. Brian Froud and how awesome he is. So. <laughs> yes. Um, and my best friend at the time um, wanted me to watch it. She loved it. And she had this weird two degrees of separation connection to the guy who does the juggling in the movie. 
Oh, wow. So she's like, you have to see this. You know, my my sister's friend so-and-so is the, the juggler. And I was kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. Because I was like 15 or so. And she's like, oh, and Brian Froud is the one that did all the character design. And I was like, you don't say. Wait a minute. <laughs> Let, let's watch it. <laughs> now, now I'm interested. Um, so yeah, so I ended up watching it at her house. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I don't remember when I first saw it so many of these like 80s movies like you know I've mentioned this before like there were the things that were like on cable once in a while and so like I'd never know when to like catch them I'd see them on some channel and I'd never see the first half an hour of anything yep. but it was like this was so magical and just like David Bowie just made an impression on me as he did on all of us yes like I think anyone who is exposed to David Bowie at a younger age is some kind of on the LGBTQIA spectrum now. I think that he just is he so amazing. <laughs> he really does like, if there was any, you know, allegedly human person who I would to believe was secretly an otherworldly being who just came to visit us for a little while and then sadly had to return to where he, like, I think David Bowie would be the top of my list. He's just amazing. Him, him and like Bjork, those yeah. would be like, for me, competing for number mm-hmm. one. Yeah, Peacock is an elf. I thought that was like, well, like and from David, Iceland. And, yeah. And David Bowie's right up there. Yeah. He's just he was so amazing, especially for like me. Like I, I saw I really glommed on to this movie like in the 90s. And that was when I guess it was sort of like the second wave of like queer representation and rights was sort of cresting a bit or beginning to, you know, formulate in the 90s. And things like Rent were out there. And, you know, finally like there were girls kissing on Buffy. And like there was then like you see David Bowie who's like been out there being non-gender conforming for years and just continues to be it. And like you see something like Labyrinth, it's like, well, he's wearing makeup, but he's like a boy. He's very much a boy, you can tell. <laughs> they made sure uh, you could tell. Oh well he made sure. Well. <laughs> and I was like, but I just it's just so amazing. And he's he's singing about who do you do? Voodoo. I think so. Yeah. It's just it's so let's talk about how the movie got started. Because this was post Dark Crystal. Yes. For the Henson Studios. And Dark Crystal and all these things were very much Jim Henson trying to like branch out from the Muppet. Trying. 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 And in yes. in some ways not succeeding terribly well. Because I mean, like, d- don't get me wrong, Dark Crystal is a good movie, but it definitely is a Muppet movie. Like yeah, I'm going to confess something. I'm not the biggest fan of Dark Crystal. I think I'm the fact either. that their faces don't move, like the the way the puppets are just not, they're, they're so, they're, the sculpt and the material is so hard that their faces aren't as smushy as a lot of other puppets and Muppets. It's just hard for me to really connect emotionally with those characters and the sexy Skeksis are so scary. Yeah, I'm going to lose like a ton of cred here by saying this, but I, I actually really don't like the Dark Crystal at all. I feel and, seen. And I, I, feel seen. I, I love Brian Froud. I love that sort of story in general. There's just something about it for me. Like you were saying, it just doesn't resonate Mm -hmm. at all and I think the first time I saw it I was fairly young and I was not a fan of the style (laughs) it's also terrifying like I remember just being traumatized by the dark crystal when I was little like so yeah so dark crystal and it was it was Jim Henson had like carte blanche almost on dark crystal and that kind of I think that was one of the reasons why it didn't succeed as much because there weren't as many people saying, hey, Jim, maybe you should make this less terrifying, like not trying so hard to make it serious or like, who is it for? Is it for kids? Is it for adults? And I think there you've hit on the the crux of it because I don't think you can do a serious, dark movie with puppets 
Yeah. And and have it not fall into that weird middle zone where it's yeah. a little too scary for kids, but it's also and of course everyone who loves Dark Crystal right now is like shaking their computers and yelling at us. I, but I, you know, you can tweet tweet at us. Um but yeah, I think it's like kind of in that uncanny valley of like too scary for kids, oh too silly for adults. And it's and its tone is the hardest thing as like a creator. Trying to find the right tone is very hard. And yeah. so and it's an interesting movie to watch just to see how it was and it's beautifully technically amazing like the puppets and everything are great but i think they built on that and they're like well let's try something maybe slightly more fun because it because labyrinth is fun yes and ironically labyrinth which kind of i think was made for maybe not children but at least younger Mm -hmm. people (laughs) you know a younger age group than um, dark crystal maybe aiming for um is a movie that adults really like because it yeah. has a lot of material that appeals to adults. Yeah. And it's not like adult humor so much or adult, like it's, there's nothing like adult, adult, like, you know, but it's clever. But it, it's clever. It's very, very dry humor and yes. very funny. And, and it's also labyrinth is such a archetypal story. Like, uh, you know, that we've all read, you know, it's, it's Dorothy, it's Alice. It's, you know, the girl goes into another magical world and it's all a metaphor for growing up and all that stuff. But it's just, it's such a great story that we all enjoy. It's literally like an archetypal journey because it's that, you know, goddess figures journey through an underworld. Yeah. yeah. It's that, it's that hero quest, but it's yeah. that hero quest combined with like a coming of age combined yeah. with that sort of open-ended question the movie gives us of, did this really happen? Exactly. Who knows? <laughs> you know, up to the viewer to decide at the end. Yeah. It's like, is this all in her imagination or, or, and you know, not to quote, you know, she who must not be named, but that there, that is, there is that great Harry Potter quote where, you know, he asked Dumbledore, is this all in my head? And he says, of course it's all in your head, but why should that make, make I mean, it isn't real. It's like, yep. oh yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Well, he's too bad at a transphobic castle. I had to write it, but oh well. <laughs> um, yeah. That's always my disclaimer. It's like, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, so this was, but this movie was a horrible flop, though. Also, to be fair, Crystal and this were just like bomb, and they really kind of set the Jim Henson company back, which is so unfortunate because Labyrinth really has everything. It does. I mean, I realize now the soundtrack is very dated for us. That's fabulous. Soundtrack eternal. Come on. I I will not deny that I listened to it and I have several of the songs on my MP3 player. But I mean, it is that very like electric keyboard 80s, you know, pop glam kind of feeling. Oh, it's, um, it's pure Bowie. I mean, like, that's, what's, that's what's so great about it. it um, it's it none of the songs like make any sense at all in the context of the movie. Like, kind of like they're sort of thematically there. But I mean, let's enough. Talk, yeah, let's talk like my favorite song. I think everyone's favorite song is the magic dance song, which is such a like if you listen to the lyrics, you're like, what is this song about? It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's like. Is he talking? It's like he's saying, you know, I told my baby as you talking like you're literal because you're there's a literal baby there. But you're talking right. like a romantic partner. Like, right. <laughs> what's going on here? Right. There's so many layers, but it's such a catchy too. It's like fine. And there's Dave and Bowie's dancing with goblins. It's the height of cinema. <laughs> And that that's all that matters is that it's catchy and it's fun and it doesn't make any sense, but that's okay. Things don't always have to make sense. You know, (laughs) it's overrated when you let go of like 
does this make sense? You can enjoy a lot of media a lot more. Like. Well, and I think especially with a movie like Labyrinth, where there's a lot of it that does make sense if you stop and think about it, but there's a lot of it that's not necessarily supposed to, like, it's not supposed to be yeah. a super serious, you know, everything has yeah. some deep hidden meaning. Like, it's like an M.C. Escher painting that, you know, they reference visually in the finale. Like, it looks cool, but like, it logically, it's this thing that can't actually exist and they're actually only, stepping into that. It only makes that. sense in pieces. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's one, like, you know, it's, it starts out with her reading this play, you know, called The Labyrinth. And so... Does that mean that she's like knows this Goblin King as a character and who knows? Oh, yeah. 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 Well, and the, the, I think the movie, a lot of that was intentional, like yeah. having pictures of, of David Bowie, not mm-hmm. as himself, but as, you know, not the Goblin King mm-hmm. with her mother. Yeah. So you see when she's looking at the picture of her mother in her room, the mother's boyfriend is the person who would, she would also see as lab. They never um, Goblin knew King. that. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You see all the creatures that she's going to meet in her room. Yep. Like, I love that. Like the design in her room is so cool. Cause it's all like Easter eggy. It's Easter eggs oh, before, yeah. you know, there were those sort of things. And that's, that's one of the things I think that I appreciate the most about this is that the Easter eggs are everywhere and they may or may not mean anything. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not like a lot of times when you find Easter eggs and things, it's supposed to be significant and it's supposed to be like, Ooh, you know, this, this is a clue to something important. And with labyrinth, it's like, it's just there. Mm-hmm. And then you you can kind of decide like, okay, what, what does this mean? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Who and knows? Like, as she's going through like her journey, she sort of learns that like these things, nothing's what it seemed, you know, these things that she like treasured as like childhood toys are, can kind of be scary and dangerous in many ways. Yeah. Not- and a lot of, a lot of times when she assumes that she's correct about something and she knows what's going on, she quickly realizes that in fact, no. <laughs> oh, she chose down. I was, <laughs> just gonna say that yeah there's so much uh about you know nothing you know is right or at least nothing you know is what you think it is yeah it's and that's and that's a very simple idea and they explore it in so fun ways you know the idea of oh you have just have to walk through that wall just just keep going you know you know it's funny because i think in a lot of ways labyrinth is the mirror image of dark crystal whereas dark crystal you have something that that looks like it should be fun but then it's really dark (laughs) And mm-hmm. kind of, you know, scary if you're a little kid. You have Labyrinth that looks like it should be really serious. I mean, the whole premise is her little brother's been kidnapped yeah. and is going to get turned into a goblin. And, you know, it's this coming of age story. And, you know, all of this very serious stuff is going on. But it's it's so lighthearted mm-hmm. in how it deals with all that. You know, even the big battle at the end with the yeah, goblins. Oh, yeah. It's, just, it's such a funny battle. It's so cute. Like, they're shooting little goblins balls. It's, did I get it? Yep. You have like that machine and the goblins yeah. were inside it, like trying to drive it. And, yeah. Oh, that's you know. so great. It's so, and you could tell it was like a lot of really creative, fun people like having a blast and just like, how many gags can I get into this visually? How much can yeah. I do here? Like that, it, it reminds me that way of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, because that was like every frame of that was like, what gag can we do here? What artistry can we put into this? And Jim Henson reminds me a lot you know, in his legacy and his creativity and his way to oversee a company that did so much was very much like Walt Disney, where he would work. Not only was he an incredibly creative person, but he knew how to work with people and encourage people and find the right, encourage the right people. And that was why, that's why the Henson company and the Disney company are still existing and Disney owns the Henson company. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think when you look at Labyrinth, it really is that perfect storm of what you need to make something a cult classic yeah. kind of like kind of like clue you have a great cast 
you know, you've got David Bowie, you've got um, Jennifer Connelly, who is fabulous in that movie. You have the Jim Henson contributions, the the different Muppet characters who are really well done in that movie. Um, you have a, a really good story. You know, when you look at the, the story arc, yeah. you have fun music, you have Brian Froud. Yeah. I don't think you can go wrong when you have Brian Froud. Yeah. I'm going to check this before I say it. But I think that, and I think that the script was also from a Monty Python writer. That would make a lot of sense. <laughs> So that would explain many things. Yeah. yeah. The writers were Terry Jones. Yeah. When, yep. when, Terry Jones and Monty Python. Like, and there we go. That's that Python esque, very fun British humor. That's just yeah. great. Yeah. Well, and, like, like the opening scene with the worm, where he's yeah. like, if you'd have yeah. gone that way, you'd have gone right to that yeah. castle. Pure Python. <laughs> right. You know, and the whole I bet that worm's groaning. That worm's name probably was Monty the Python. <laughs> Probably. Like, and like the doors, you know, the two doors, like, or the, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yes, 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 yes. Like that's so Monty Python. It's yeah. Yeah. And no, th- this you can definitely feel that humor running through it. Yeah. This is a tangent, but have you read or seen the book that that came out like years after this called The Goblins of the Labyrinth? And it's by Terry Jones and Brian Froud. I haven't. It, it is a fabulous book. I'll post some pictures on Twitter. Um, it's basically like all the concept art and oh. all these gob- all this goblin concept art that Brian Froud did, but it with text by Terry Jones. And so it's, it's presented like they found this compendium of goblins. Right. And so like they all have their names and their powers and you know descriptions but it's very funny yeah. and very silly and so the goblins of the labyrinth is it's a really oh. cool book and i remember finding it in, like a little bookstore when i have fourth or fifth grade oh, i think i found like a magic something magic but i'll have a, to track down a copy the, like you know let's talk about brian froud for a second like because that's always been the thing with his work is it always feels like it is like more like you know john audubon than it is somebody like making stuff up like his work always comes up as very anthropological like he's sketching yeah. things that he's seeing in his garden which for very well he very well could be if there's anyone who's doing it, it's probably be. brian Froud. yeah no i i'm a huge fan of his work i have to admit i got into his work through the lady cottingley's press fairy book which is the most nonsense book it's a, it's at the same <laughs> tone as the goblins of the labyrinth it's it's exactly yeah. like that yeah if for anyone- those out they're listening to this that are yeah they're not familiar the whole premise of that book is that this little girl figured out how to capture the twee little english fairies by by basically smacking them in this book and it gets it works like a photograph she gets pictures yeah. of them. it does not hurt the fairies like they're very clear they have a little like statement in there no fairies were harmed and that the fairies thought this was like a fun and there's, um, there's some of the fairies get quite naughty with it there's like some like fairies yep. are like just showing their butts and everything it's yep. very funny yep there's some mooning going on yeah it's it's definitely done in that that sort of tone and then i went from that to his book fairies with alan lee which is completely different <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like that was from the 70s and yep. that like that kind of ties this into because Alan Lee was very famously an illustrator for The Lord of the Rings. And he was yep. a a consultant and concept artist on Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. He's just incredible. And that my mom had that book when I was little and like finding it felt like I had found like an actual like book of like ancient book of fairy knowledge and magic and it's written it's hard to read because it's not in type it's like written like it's written in pencil cursive yeah yeah it's um but it's so beautiful and they're both of their artistic styles are developing there and then brian froud's other like famous ish like he has a great book that the good fairies and bad fairies do you have that one i do yeah it's such a cool book because again such a great thing to talk about on our audio podcast (laughs) but like the front the the front half is good fairies and you turn it over and it's bad fairies like in the middle it's like 
morally ambiguous fairies because you know and there's some of the drawings yeah. like if you turn them over it's the same on they're, yeah. cool. they're so cool yeah he's he really is a brilliant artist and one of the things i think that i like the most about him myself is that he and this is not a criticism by the way against other artists that draw he has such a variety yeah he he does do the smaller little winged fairies but he also does giants and trolls and kelpies which are like you know fairy horses and that eat people and you know he does like the the ishi the ones that are very noble looking and yeah you know he just covers the whole range and i love that yeah and it's just and you see that in all the different kinds of goblins you see and you see a fairy you know see a pretty little fairy that bites people and Labyrinth. That when I was first watching the movie, okay, with my friend, keeping in mind I was like 16. So you have to you have to grade me here on being an obnoxious teenager. But the first part of the movie, I was kind of thinking, like, oh, okay, okay. Really hate this main character. Great, stuck watching this. Okay. And then we got to the point with the fairy where uh, you know, Hoggle squirts her with the thing and the little fairy falls, and Sarah gets so upset and runs over, like, oh, why did you do that? And the fairy bites her and Hoggle's like, well, what did you expect the fairy to do? And I was like, I love this. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And that was when I knew from that point on, everything that happened was going to be awesome. And it was, it was. Because, I mean, I think that this is a pretty, you know, accurate is a weird word to use for when you're talking about depictions (laughs) of, you know, like it's such a, it's, you know, what's an accurate depiction of like an entire world or race or whatever. But like, I feel like it's pretty correct in terms of like matching the tone and what we know of the folklore and the mythology. Like, I feel like most of the good folk be like, yeah, yeah, that's just, you know, yeah, fair enough. You, You know, have a good sense of humor, kind of malicious, you know might and, kidnap your baby and turn it into a goblin yeah and like the thing is like none of these even jareth like he's neither good nor evil he's just sort of this sort of chaotic character who just sort of having fun and wants to kind of stick like, i'm granting your wish i'm doing what you want yep. you're just being weird about it like you want me to take your baby why are you so mad Take your baby brother <laughs> you asked me to yeah yep. i have been generous up until now but i can be cruel generous what have you done that's generous? Everything. Everything that you wanted, I have done. You asked that the child be taken. I took him. You cowered before me. I was frightening. I have reordered time. I have turned the world upside down. And I have done it all for you. I am exhausted from living up to your expectations. Isn't that generous? They've said in interviews, Brian Froud in particular has said in interviews that for the movie, they drew a lot on European folklore, that their intention really was to have a lot of the folklore in the movie, even though it is obviously a movie, it's not meant to be, you know, an accurate folklore piece. But you can see the fingerprints all over, like, you know, when like the fire dance thing, it's not quite, you know, I don't know if there are any, there's any folklore about like fairies pulling off their heads and doing that sort of thing. But there is like this idea if you get caught in dancing in a fairy circle, like bad news, it will be yep. badly for you. Yep. Oh, and like when he, when he gives her the pee. Yeah, don't knew- eat the food. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I knew watching it because I, I knew enough about fairy yeah. lore, obviously, even when I was watching it the first time. I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is not going anywhere good. No, not um, good. Do you know who the dance choreographer was? It was um, Gates McFadden. Gates McFadden was Dr. Yep. Puck- Dr. Crutcher. Yep. <laughs> that proving, proving how awesome she truly is. I should also <laughs> mention i'm a huge star trek nerd so oh yes we like 
two episodes ago, we talked about gargoyles and oh. like Tim Curry and David Bowie are on that same level of just like these gender, you know, non-conforming 80s icons who made us all weird. And, yes. you know, Tim Curry's on gargoyles, but like the entire Star Trek cast like shows up on gargoyles and gargoyles. And like Star Trek, oh. I feel like they're the Star Trek to pagan pipeline is just straight line. Like, I don't <laughs> I know. I was going to say, pipeline direct shoots. Yeah. You know? It's like, I don't know anyone like among you know my people of my generation I don't know about the youngins but like all of us like Star Trek was just so so formative it was up there with Labyrinth like I really want to watch rewatch Next Generation yeah I was just gonna say specifically Next specifically generation. TNG because it was I mean it was books literally have been written about how important TNG was yeah too I mean I I watched television. original series with my dad in reruns because I grew up I literally grew up on Star Trek but when Next Generation started and I was I was little I was like eight or nine I think mm-hmm. when it when it came out on TV um, and I saw the first episode and I was all in all in every week when the new episode was on I was right there in front of the TV like waiting. I, just, I remember the episode the the season finale where Card gets taken by the board and like I had never and then I'm like wait now I have to wait how long to find out how this happened and that was like my first you know real experience of like television making me like just so engaged and be like yeah yeah kids back in the day. There used to be these things called cliffhangers and you had to wait like a long time. I guess now they still do that on like Sometimes. But then you then yeah. you get like, but that was actually worse because you're like huge cliffhanger. You wait a year and a half and you get all 17 episodes at once and you have to wait another yeah. 10 years. That's actually, I was going to say at least, uh, well, I don't know if it's better or worse though because before you'd have to wait over the summer till the new season started, but then you still had to wait a week for the next episode. Yeah. And then a week for the next episode. I, I really do prefer weekly drops to everything being dropped at once because I think it just gives people like a much more of a chance to really experience things and dig yeah. into episodes. Like I think like Loki and WandaVision and like the boys, these are all weekly drops and they're all like that made that a better watching experience, yeah. you know? What gives you time to like process? Yeah. So I'm Definitely. like, I'm glad Amazon's doing that with like they did with Wheel of Time and they're going to do it with Lord of the Rings. So I am so yeah. excited for the new Lord of the Rings. I cannot even tell you. Oh, I, uh, well, I'm, we're, I think we're going to have like an entire like panel for all of August. <laughs> we're just going to talk about Lord of the Rings. Like we'll talk about Peter Jackson and we'll talk about the weird animated movies. You know what? I'm here for the for the Rankin of Vast oh, weird animated movies, which is another weird. thing. But the same friend that made me watch Labyrinth, bless her. My friend Ailish, who was the greatest influence in my life, apparently, she made me watch Labyrinth. She made me watch Legend. She had me watch the weird animated Hobbit and Return of the King movie. And I'm assuming also Last Unicorn. Um, I think I found Last Unicorn on my own because that one had come out. Uh, Cause um, I was sort of like labyrinth legend and last unicorn were like the holy L right, like the like, trifecta of awesomeness. I, I agree. I yeah. was telling someone else like my, you know, we all want to be Gandalf, but in reality, most of us are Schmedrick. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Schmendrick is so underrated, though. I, he's I to be fair. Schmendrick is awesome. I honestly, I think most of us are Molly. Most Probably Molly group. Oh yeah, yeah, but, yeah. So yeah, we're just talking about all the '80s things. But like back to Labyrinth, <laughs> I want to talk about like because the the core story that Labyrinth is kind of based on is this idea of the fairies stealing child. And that's such an interesting bit of folklore to me because I'm sure, you know, you can't make a blanket statement about all of folklore or any one story and say, oh, this is what it really, but I'm sure there had to be some element influencing that folklore of like people not understanding things like postpartum depression or developmentally disabled children. This idea of like, oh, the fairies took my baby. That's why 
my child a stranger or the fairies took my wife. That's why she doesn't want to nurse her baby. Or that's why they died. Yeah. Because so, yeah, I mean, the child mortality. Yeah. Just... And, and part of changeling folklore, because a lot of the changeling folklore people are familiar with is this very narrow kind of slice that's been mm. sort of popularized in, in modern understanding. But part of it um, in the, the actual like um, older belief and, you know, still existing in some places, modern belief wasn't just that like your, your baby would get strange for lack of a better term, or your, your wife would start acting not like herself. But there's also this idea that if your baby died or your wife died or your new husband died, that they hadn't actually died, that they had been taken by the fairies and you were left with an imitation and you thought they were dead, but they weren't. Mm -hmm. And you know, that definitely, you, you could really dig into the psychology of that. Yeah. Even though my podcast is not sponsored by, you know, the great courses slash Wondrium. I listen to so many podcasts that are sponsored by it that I got it. And I listened to this wonderful course called The Other Side of History about like daily life in ancient Rome or in medieval England. And life was just so hard. Like, you know, one in four of your children, would, you would yeah. be so lucky if your kid lived, you know, no one named children until they were 10 days old because the odds they would die in those first 10 days were so high. So high. Yep. didn't you know and it was you know people didn't welcome the child into the home for that period of time it was a way of coping because they didn't know if this child would actually stay with them like i can't yep. imagine and the, the extent that folklore helps people cope with stuff like that so yep. interesting but there's also so much of it's like eh, but also you don't I mean, mess with the good folk <laughs> right like the, and there's there's so many layers to how we can look at it like yeah. and i try to to cast a wide net as it were i do personally believe that these beings exist you know in whatever sense we want to argue that they exist but also obviously you know not every story about fairies taking a baby was actually fairies taking a baby or a bride or a groom or whatever you know there were other things that were going on that that were sort of blamed on or attributed to the fairy. And there's a really good dissertation by a woman named uh, Rose Sawyer that talks about changeling folklore, particularly in the Middle Ages, and how a lot of it was used to explain children who were born with any sort of congenital disability, who had birth trauma, who, you know, had some sort of illness in uh, infancy or childhood that caused, you know, issues afterwards, particularly paralysis and sort of looking at this whole array of material that we have and how people would use this folklore, this belief that the fairies would, would take, you know, children or, or not always, I, everyone thinks of infants, it's not always infants, sometimes mm -hmm. older well, um, as a way to sort of understand why these things happen. Yeah. And it's interesting, like when you look outside of the European bubble, you find similar things like in the stories about the jinn, especially mm -hmm. in the Arabic that country. There's, there's yeah. a lot there's of so similarity. much cross, so much similar. I mean, I definitely think like, oh, if they're just the same sort of thing, another culture has another name for them. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely, if we look at, you know, pretty much every culture around the world, they're not going to call them fairies, of course, because yeah. that's an English language term, but you're going to find very similar concepts and similar types of spirit beings and similar um, folkloric themes. We'll yeah. say yeah, it's just it's fascinating to like look at those you know folklores and see like oh it sounds a lot like something else like you think of things like the yeti and the sasquatch we're on the t opposite sides of the world but there there's so much crossover and similarity in those Very mythologies concepts and I, I I fully believe sasquatch and the yeti I'm sure they're out there and don't want to bother with us but. Especially because that's like a local thing for here in Oregon. Yeah. I mean, you can't blame them for not yeah. wanting to bother with humans. God, though, yeah. Cause... Good cho good choice, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so that was very forward thinking of them. Like, yeah. Nope. Nope. Like, nope. Stay, stay, stay up there. And you don't want to mess with this. Um, so, but yeah, I think that's why I think Labyrinth was so, it's, it's so successful because it does like 
give an interesting spin on on both the idea of like the stolen child, but also kind of like the fairy bride issue. Like, yeah, um, it, it it touches on some really fabulous folklore and the way they managed to weave it together. So you definitely have the stolen child and the way he gets taken, even though obviously there's no folklore that says if you ask the mm-hmm. goblins to tell take your baby, they'll do that. Yeah, there would but- be no babies left if that was possible for parents. Like, because there are so many times it'd be like, I'm going You clean your room or the goblins are coming. <laughs> That was an option. Uh, I mean, I think everyone who has children will understand that that sense of it. Yeah. Um, But the idea, and this is particularly like Scottish and and Irish belief, that if you ill speak about something or sort of ill wish about something, that you can open that door. And there was a a longstanding belief that like when a person saw a, a baby or a child, they were supposed to say, you know, God bless it. And if you didn't, that could open this door for the fairy to come in and take them. And so when we see that in Labyrinth, the sort of idea that she has to say this very specific phrase, in a way, it is kind of touching on that older folklore, that idea of like opening the door, if you will, to give them permission to come because they don't come for the baby before that. I I love that scene though, with the the kind of like with them sort of like listening to see the words. And then she recites that completely ridiculous, like, Goblin ah. King, Goblin King, come and take this child far away from me. And the goblins are just like, that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> right. I see we come and take the baby right now. How hot is that? <laughs> right. Like, I love those goblins. And I love yeah. like when they're all behind her and when he's showing up, like that whole, like everything about the movie is great, but that scene is super fun. It's such a great introduction. And, and it is. And it kind of sets the tone. <laughs> yeah, it does. And he shows up in his fabulous outfit with his like, all of his outfits are fabulous. Glass <laughs> ball things. And yeah, I think David Bowie really learned how to do that too. Like, he that might was have a, yeah, he might have a little bit. Yeah, um, so cool. I know there's at least the one scene when he's doing the really complicated thing mm-hmm. that the guy is standing behind him. Oh, yeah. This is like Swedish chef sort of thing. Yeah, because I guess that took them quite a while to film because obviously the guy behind him can't see what he's doing and he's trying to like juggle these two glass balls. Yeah, I can only imagine. (laughs) You're like, so how was work today, honey? Well, I had to stand behind (laughs) David Bowie and like blind juggle glass balls. Just just as weird as it sounds, but not in the way you're... Yeah, Yeah. what a a, a memory. Put that on your tombstone. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) definitely put that on your resume. Yeah. So I... Uh, so there's all sorts of rumors about like other people they wanted to cast for this. Like, you know, people say like, oh, Michael Jackson was in the running. I don't know if that was true. I can't imagine that version. I guess what we can't imagine the version, it's called Captain EO. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think some of that is just because David Bowie has become so iconic yeah. as the Goblin King. Um, I have to admit, I have a I have a ridiculous unnatural love for heterochromia. So the the two different colored eye thing, oh, yeah. um, I can't picture the goblin king without that it's said it see um, i'm the opposite i'm like i i can i couldn't tell you what color like child's eyes are like i just don't process that very often that's so like i'm like i do that but that's just he, my... he just he just did in real life yeah you know, that that wasn't like a movie thing so but it definitely i think added to the yeah. character made him more he more just is one of the all-time king. great faces ever just, yeah. yeah well he has that androgyny he has yeah that david bowiness yeah and um, yes, yeah, so let's talk about like you know this is a very androgynous character, but then in some ways not so androgynous anatomically. Well, let's let's be. <laughs> so this is this great story of like the directors or something be like, um, can somebody get him? Some like boxer briefs or something <laughs> like some like control tops. There's an issue here with his like little goblin. I don't know. And like then like he cut a <laughs> hole in it 
because he's like, no, I want to be free. It's like, oh, God. so they just sort of like, well, that's <laughs> hilarious. We'll try and keep the camera. But we, but it doesn't even work because there's so there's like the scene where like Huggles like right there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that it's another iconic thing about the movie. <laughs> I think for good or ill. I've seen, you know, I've seen like you know a lot of cosplayer like female cosplayers. Um. As the, the goblin came with the you know socks in there and stuff, yeah, it's yeah. well, it's so. But he's so good, and it just kind of works for the character. Like you never know what kind of fairy being he is. Maybe he's me. Who knows? You know, and that's it's funny because again, getting back into the folklore, which clearly is my obsession in life. Oh, oh um, yeah. you know, <laughs> you've written like eighteen books on this. <laughs> it's it's an unhealthy amount. Yeah. yeah. Um, goblins and elves and fairies and incubus were all considered sort of synonymous for a long, long time, like hundreds of years. So the I actually kind of liked in the movie that they made him as sort of ridiculously sexual as they made him for someone who was very androgynous because that for was, a children's movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they didn't hold anything back there, but that's that's so what you would expect, like if. If you wanted me to describe what elves were like in like Anglo-Saxon England, it would basically be David Bowie as the Goblin King. You know, yeah. very androgynous, but also very sexual, which seems like a contradiction, but is not. Oh, it's just all sex at all times. Like, and I, I do like that, that this isn't kind of like a sanitized version of like, you know, speaking of Tolkien, like I love Tolkien, but the elves are like really like the opposite of sexy in Tolkien. Like they're, they're so, you know, elevated. Well, that was, that was Tolkien, um, yeah. you know, was, and I've. You know, he was so British. He was very Catholic. And yeah. I've I've read some scholars who have argued very persuasively that his elves were really meant to be sort of the ideal Catholic. You know, for his elves, and I'm getting this is not in the movies, but I'm digging into like Cimmerillion and, and some of the other like appendices stuff. But for his elves, like marriage was sex. Like if you had sex, you were married to that person and marriage was forever. And I'm like, that is probably the most Catholic thing I've ever seen in fiction, which is you married something. for three thousand years. Yup. Um, and it just, I think a lot of that shows in the movies, even though they don't include that specific aspect, like, you know, uh, in a, in a more explicit fashion, but it comes through, you know? Yeah. yeah and I'm, I wonder, I'm, I'm getting quite curious to how it'll work in this new series. Like that's one of the things I'm really, you know, curious about is how they're going to make there's, you know, there might be love story. You know, I've, other. I've heard from what I've read, not that I'm stalking any media to do with this, maybe a little, but from what I've read, one of the new characters they've introduced, who's not a, you know, Tolkien canon character, they do have him in some sort of like for, they call it forbidden. So take that, however you're going to take that relationship with a human character, which I'm really curious about because Tolkien only had a few of those types of relationships in all of his Yeah, like and Lithian were like a big deal. Yeah, like Elrond's parents. And it was always kind of doomed. Like that was why it didn't happen often because it was never, never worked out well. Yeah, well, one of you is going to live 5,000 years. The other one's going to live 50. And then yeah. apparently if you, like there's nothing afterwards, like you're not getting yeah. remarried if you're an elf, so. Yeah, well, the one time they talk about an elf remarrying, it really does not end well at all. Like it starts a whole war basically. Whoops. Yeah, Boy. so. And he was really <laughs> He really was. Um, and I, yeah, I love Lord. It's like, what if Wagner's ring cycle, but Catholic and also an allegory for World War <laughs> One? Okay, you sure. know, why not? Why, why not? not? Everyone, yeah. again, <laughs> back to Labyrinth. 
<laughs> I, you know, I think that this is a labyrinth was so influential on people. Mm-hmm. Like I think everyone who has, who made or who's making the new Lord was so much of that. Just this multi-texture world of fairies and elves and goblins. That- well, like, like you said at the beginning, you know, Alan Lee and Brian Froud mm-hmm. had collaborated in the seventies. And I don't know that you can really separate that aesthetic mm-hmm. from the Lord of the Rings, the later movies or any of it. And yeah. You know, labyrinth. And you can also see like the fingerprint on labyrinth and then on other subsequent stuff on another great, and I'm going to say it, a fantasy magic series. It's called Star Wars because <laughs> Star Wars is wizards in space. It's not sci-fi. I'm not arguing with you. And, but like, you know, and it, there's a lot of work on Star yeah. Wars with Luke, George Lucas. They were cool. I, I will say a hundred percent that the Henson Star Wars movies where Yoda as an actual puppet, mm-hmm. for example, is so much better in my opinion than the later ones without that. Yeah. Yeah. I like, mean, let's talk about like this Frank Oz just yeah. in general. Um, well, just practical effects and a lot. I'm not dissing CGI because CGI has its place, but yeah, practical effects, you know, it, like well, and not to get back to the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That's what we're talking about today. But if you look at the, the orcs and the goblins in the Lord of the Rings films versus the ones in the um, Hobbit films, which were much more CGI. It's it's a really clear difference and not necessarily a positive one. No, like yeah, it's, there's a podcast you know talks about these overly CGI movies where it looks like flubber. It's just you know yep. nothing beats a practical yeah. effect. We want to talk about other 100%. great weird 80s movies that were bad takes on mythology like um the clash of the titans was my other weird favorite 80s movie not how can you a, say that's bad it's a b movie it's, it's, it's a, a I, solid it's b a, movie it's a fabulous movie <laughs> not a terribly accurate representation of Greek no mythology. no like let's have a more thing we're gonna call, call it the kraken but it will also be the creature from the black lagoon sure why not yeah there are some movies that they they achieve this place where you can't call them bad because they're awesome, but they're, they're, they're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> they're terribly like, awesome. We'll definitely have a whole Clash of the Titans episode. I'd love to have somebody, a Greek mythology episode. <laughs> some oh, Greek watch episode. some poor oh. person like foaming at the mouth trying like, to talk about Clash of the Titans. The original so, Clash the of the original Titans. Cast, yeah, the other one's absolute carpet. Like, because yeah. they're all CGI. And, uh, and the Mads- yeah. They're talking about doing a live action Last Unicorn. And I, I have a lot of concern about the level of CGI that's going to have to be involved with that. They've been talking about ever. They've been talking about well, doing that as long as they've been talking about trying to remake The Crow. So I'm not well, like, <laughs> which will never happen because never the entire happen. Crow fan base is is willing that never to happen. Um, but the author of Last Unicorn just got his rights back, mm-hmm. which I is what makes me think it might actually happen. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, well that's a whole episode. We have to yeah. talk about Last Unicorn. Yeah, I think that like Labyrinth is not a movie remake. Like there's maybe no. you, could, you could maybe return to the world. Like, uh, you know, I, I guess they are right. Well, somebody is actually right. Um, we'll see if it goes anywhere. And I could definitely see, I would love to see like Sarah as a parent and her child getting lost in the Labyrinth and she has to like go find her go own back. daughter and yeah. confront all this kind of, you know, but we'll see. I would hope that if they do it, that they keep it true to the original, that they they do practical effects and Jim yeah. Henson Studios, and that they don't try to do what so many movies now do, which is try to make it better. And, you know, 
CGI it up and try to make it more serious and more topical and more whatever. Because I think if you're going to do something like, you know, a labyrinth to um, return to the labyrinth, then you have to have that same humor. You have to have it be a continuation of the original, yeah. you know. Who would you cast as a new Goblin King? Like my, my mind goes to like Harry Styles. Like I feel like he probably carries that. there's a I think there's a couple interesting options out there. Um, Tilda Swinton could do it too. Oh my God, yeah. That'd be um, perfect. No, I also, to perfect. be fair, I'm a huge fan. So she's just, yeah. Bjork, she could be, that'd be, could be fun. Yep. Though she doesn't do a lot of acting. Yep. Um, Bjork could do it. Um, I think anyone who already kind of has that, like you you have people already wondering, like, is this person maybe a little otherworldly yeah. a little bit um, that they could they could probably do it. But yeah, there's so many gorgeous people that would be fun for that. It's just such an, you know, it's, but it's such, it's a big shoes to fill. Yeah. Like, well, you'd, you'd want to get someone, I think, who would bring their own yeah. take to it, you know? And like, I'd love to see it be like not a white person. That'd be a fun, you know, get some someone else in there. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> like I, the, I mean, the Lord of the Rings is doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's totally open to that, um, which again, if you look at the actual folklore, because of course there are like, there's so much ridiculous nonsense with the Lord of the Rings series right now with people freaking out about the casting, but the actual European folklore is a lot more diverse than people give it credit for. Cause we've sort of bought into this repackaging of it as being very white and it, it really wasn't. It really planet. wasn't like Europe was even in the middle ages, even in the Renaissance, it's a far more diverse place than people yeah. understand well, yeah. it to be. Yeah, even like, if you go back to the Roman era. Oh like, my God, especially the Roman 2000 era. years. Yeah, well, my, that's my point though. Like, yeah. you know, go back 2000 years and it was diverse and it's, it never stopped. Like you had a lot of trading that went on. You had a lot of um, people traveling, you know. It's, I mean, like, especially in the Roman Empire, like this was a global spanning empire. Like they had contacts with Sub-Saharan Africa and China. Like they, you know, there weren't probably a lot of those people in, you know, the city of Rome, but they were people that were, they were aware of, they were enslaving people and moving them all over the empire. So people, yeah. yeah. And you, know. you have like the, the um, Roman soldiers oh, yeah. who were people who came from all parts of the Roman empire, you know, and then would get sent to all parts of the Roman empire. Yeah. And like they, oh, they, oh, they never wanted, you know, they would take somebody from one part of the empire. Like if you, if you were a Syrian and you got conquered by Rome. You're like, okay, well, Rome's in charge now. The best thing I can do is become a soldier because then I'll become a Roman citizen. Yeah. And they're like, okay, you're in the army now. We're sending you to England, to Britannia. Yeah. And there's literally records of like a Syrian soldier being sent to pretend to like be on stationed on Hadrian's wall. And can you just imagine what this poor guy is like, where's the sun? <laughs> what is this? I'm at the, literally the end of the world. Yep. Oh, I just... I can't, it's just amazing to think of what that was like for someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Back then. I mean, even today, I think people yeah. who, um, you know, don't necessarily travel much and then suddenly you're a thousand miles from home. It's, it's a shock. Yeah. It's culture shock. Such a culture shock. Yeah. That's in that, you know, to bring us back to labyrinth. It's been such a great discussion. All over. Like it is also about that. The, the, the archetypal story here is about, you know, growing up and changing your perspective and a hard thing to realize is when you're a teenager is that maybe you're not always right. Yep. Maybe yep. it's okay to be wrong and learn new things and ask for help. Those are very hard lessons for teenagers. I don't yeah. know. Never, I didn't learn until I was in 20s. <laughs> you know, I, I said earlier that when I, the first time I ever watched the movie, I hated the main character for like the first five to 10 minutes, right up until she was actually getting into the labyrinth. Um, and I think that's intentional. I honestly think that they 
they played that character to be that very archetypal teenager, very whiny, very, I know everything. I'm not listening to anyone. You know, I'm not going to help anybody out. I just want to focus on myself. But I did love her by the end. Yeah. Because, you know, she has such a, a journey throughout the labyrinth, you know, both you know, metaphorically and literally, figuratively and literally. Yeah. And I just, I, I like to take, take a moment to talk about like Jennifer Connelly and her amazing eyebrows. Um, <laughs> yes. She was just fantastic in this. And she, it took her really a while to kind of get her, hit her stride as an actress. Like she did yeah. this and then she did a few other things. Then she was in The Rocketeer, which is yeah. a great movie that everyone should see, especially if you like Captain America. Yeah. Go watch The Rocketeer. Well, that, like, that was like the pre Captain America. Yeah. Captain I mean, America. it's the same writer director. Yeah. Um, uh, so go watch the Rocketeer. It's on Disney Plus. I, th- I think they're doing a Rocketeer series too. Like everything's getting remade, but I'm excited for that one because that's just like there's so much there. Um. So, the, but then she finally kind of hit it with like Little Children and Snowpiercer, and, um, yes. and she's and she's married to Paul Bettany, which I adore. Like I think it's so funny because you know Paul Bettany was just a voice in the Marvel movies and eventually became like a flesh and blood character. And then yeah. the new Jarvis is Jennifer Connelly. It's his wife, which I That's just funny. find to be quite, quite lovely. Um, so and she's also, she was in the Hulk, but that was a terrible movie. So we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't need to talk about that. Um, I, yeah. I thought she was very good in Labyrinth. A lot of people criticized her when it came out. Um, it was very mixed reviews. Like some reviewers really loved her in the movie. A lot of people hated her and said she was terrible but i i really think she did a wonderful job and i i think that that's there's, there's probably some inherent misogyny in that like oh it's oh, a whiny sure. teenage girl like if she'd been a boy probably wouldn't have been as oh yeah no there's there's definitely some misogyny going on um but like i said i i feel watching it that you were supposed to not like her yeah. in the very beginning because otherwise she has no character growth if, yeah. if she's this likable you know intelligent caring person at the beginning where does she have to go from there yeah. and like she learns that it's okay to like need people yeah um but she can like kind of her final lesson is like she it's okay to need people but that doesn't give you them power over you and she still has her own power inherently like the kind of final you have no power over sort of an interesting like what do you make of that big final moment for her where she you know she breaks the spell by saying you know you have no power over me even though it's like I, I would let David Bowie's the Goblin King have all sorts of power over me let's be honest like, yeah um what I, are we uh, and I think this is a part very of that gay movie. woman like <laughs> the least believable part of that movie is that his seduction failed yes yeah she's like um, no like what is wrong with you I mean he did kidnap her brother to be fair she asked but him to I he, the thing I saw it I'm not I'm on team Bowie I agree I'm on team sorry I'm on team Goblin King um letting my Bowie bias show through um I think it depends a little on how we're analyzing the movie overall Mm -hmm. um because one of the great things about Labyrinth is there are multiple different ways you can interpret the movie and none of them are necessarily compatible with each other so you can look at it like this is literally happening she she actually did stumble into like an urban fantasy type of concept where this hidden world is real and she put her foot in it or her brother um, and is actually experiencing all of this. And it is tangible reality, in which case at the end, when she says you have no power over me, you can sort of argue that she's realized that the entire time she's the one that had the power because she completed what he set her to do. Um, Because that's a big thing in fairy lore and folklore. You know, if you have a particular thing you have to accomplish to get the fairies to give you something, whatever it is, plow a field, I don't know. Find out their name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rumpelstiltskin, find out the name. Once you've done the thing and her challenge was to get to the castle, 
at the center of the Goblin City, at the you know center of the labyrinth. And she did that. And so everything beyond that point is him just sort of messing with her. And so when she says, you have no power over me, it's that acknowledgement of like, I already beat you. I got to the castle. Give me my brother because you have to because that's the rule. Or you can take it like this is a coming of age story and it's her realizing that she is the one that has power over her own life. She is the one that has the power. Um, or you can take it like five other different ways because Labyrinth is awesome like that. <laughs> it's, it's an M.C. Escher painting as a movie. Yeah. 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 I mean, if it's all a dream, which is another yeah. argument, you know, that this is literally she put her brother to bed and then she went to sleep and dreamed everything after that. Um, then her saying you have no power over me is her realizing again that this is her mind and she is in control of what's going on, which of course is not actually true in real reality. None of us have control over our own minds. They do what they yeah. want. Yeah, I would like, yeah, I've, you know, this one day I'll maybe figure out how to lucid dream, but haven't done it yet. Yeah. Well, like no one in the world would have anxiety if we actually yeah. had control. Oh, oh, you mean I should just stop worrying? I never thought about that. Yeah. Thanks. I'll get anxiety. right on that. Now. I'll just... Oh, don't be sad. Thanks. Yeah. I'll just I'll just be happy now. Yeah. 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 But that, I mean, you certainly can still interpret the movie that way. Yeah. You know. And you know, in the end, when she sort of brings everyone into her world, sort of like, okay, well, here's you know the cro- the crossover, you know, and I still yeah. she still needs her childish spirit. And still needs yeah. her. Well, and that's that was one of my favorite things about the end of the movie is that you have this this teenage girl who let's say we're interpreting it as this is her kind of coming of age, her you know, doing the hero's quest and becoming an adult in some sense. And yet she realizes at the end that being an adult does not mean giving up everything that mattered to you as a child. Yeah. It just it just means understanding what is important to hold on to and what isn't. Hence yeah. that whole, you know, the the junk lady scene. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, you don't rush to grow up too fast because, yep. you know, she had when the scene where she eats the peach and she kind of, you know, goes into the pretty dress and the sexy goblin masquerade, like, yeah. That's a very kind of sexy scene, but it's kind of also framed as like, it's kind of, maybe you're not ready for this quite yet, Sarah. Like you're yeah. still like 16. He's 4,000 years old, probably. Like, yeah. And it's funny that they juxtapose that. I should say funny. The junk scene. Just like brilliant. Yep. That she goes from that overly mature, very mature ballroom scene and not mature necessarily just in a sexual sense, but it's a very adult scene. Yeah, and like scene. she's, it's the only time in the movie where she looks, you know, made up yeah. and beautiful yeah she's very you know 1980s big hair and big poofy ball gown and you know she's in this what would but from a teenage perspective be you know this is adult and it's awesome but it's also sort of boring it's very bland you know everything's very white and very mm-hmm. um antiseptic and it's these other yeah. dancers and, and they were all wearing masks so it's, it's no longer person. goblins it's people just wearing goblin masks yeah yeah, yeah. very very impersonal and you know there's aspects to it for people who are adults I think where you can kind of see like oh yeah this this is describing adulthood in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, and of course there is the seductive dancing with the, the Goblin King part but and then they immediately cut from that when she breaks out of it to the junkyard scene where it's literally her waking up in what she thinks initially is her bedroom and thinking she's having a dream and then realizing she's in this weird junkyard and trying to hold on to all of these things from not just her childhood but like early childhood like her mm-hmm. teddy bear And, you know, things that she's literally physically outgrown. Um, And to me, that's just such a brilliant commentary, you know, however we're, we're looking at the film. Yeah, it's great. It's a really, it's a wonderful film. So, so I guess my yes. final question for you as a fairy scholar is, is there a bog of eternal stench <laughs> in any fairy lore? Like, where'd they get that one? Not per se. 
Um, I will say in Irish mythology, there's a, a, a bog of distress. There's a lot of bogs so, in the Irish. Yeah. <laughs> bogs are dangerous. That's fair. Um, they are. Um, and I could definitely see a bog of distress kind of easily equating eternal scent. For anyone who's ever been in a bog, by the way, they, they're not necessarily the most aromatic. Yeah, they don't smell great. Pleasant. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, it's, it's just, it's the nature of bogs and swamps, you know. Yeah, they're yeah so. all about decay. Yeah, but unless you're, unless you're a bog body that then sort of hangs around for a few thousand years. Yeah, or, or a, you know, dog guard that ironically has no sense of smell. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's your minimus. Oh, is awesome. And that was another, like, that's one of those bits of humor that I think as a child, maybe mm-hmm. even as a teenager, it goes a little over your head. And then it, as you're watching it more as an adult, you're like, oh, that's really fun. Yeah. He's a dog in a garden. He has no sense of smell. I mean, like, I, I just, I mean, there's just so even having talked about like Ludo and Hoggle, like they're just such great, amazing designs, great character work. Just the the way that the mask and the sculpt and the puppetry works on Hoggle is so incredible. It really and that, is. And that puppet was like lost. Like, I was just going to say, you got like, a, got like an airport. Yeah. Like the bag, like somebody literally like lost the bag for years and it yep. showed up in some prop. Like there's some interesting videos out there about like and where that, they found that. And that is such a fairy thing to happen. Oh yeah. It, it cracks me up. I'm like, well, I, I would love to hear some of the behind the scenes from the cast members to find out how much like fairy kind of nonsense was going on when they were yeah. making the movie. Because I, I know we you know we, we we mentioned this before, like legend. There was all sorts of like <laughs> that, that that set caught on fire like three times. <laughs> it's like, so awkward when that happened. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great if we had like a legend and labyrinth? Like that's the sequel we need is like the yeah. Goblin King I, meet Dark and Tim Curry's character in Legend. Le- oh my God, Tim Curry is so good in that movie. Legend mm. is another one of those really underrated movies i think because oh, yeah. it, it didn't quite get to cult status the way labyrinth did mm-hmm. and a oh. lot of people hate on tom it, cruise like it, on principle but it did for me legend is like oh god i love that i yeah. love that movie and it's be so well done we'll have you on next time for for legend oh, we'll, we'll we'll tease that because that could mean it that's his own episode because that's also like a lot okay. of pretty pretty accurate ish you know very like, you know, Una especially, I think is very. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, even even the crossover with the devil being in it and, you know, some of the wider themes, like very fairy folklore, a lot of that going on. Surprisingly, the 80s, for all that we can criticize the many, many things we can criticize the 80s for. Surprisingly accurate folklore. <laughs> some yeah, of like, it's you know, and I mean, there there's all sorts of stuff right now that's very inspired by folklore, but it sort of makes its own because it's, you know, set in other worlds. And so they have their own yeah. versions of these folklores. And I, and I think, and this is not to criticize, you know, modern movies and series and authors, but there's definitely a different tone, I guess I would say, or, you know, when you look at stuff that was coming out in the 80s and, and even the early 90s, there was definitely a much stronger push by authors and by people making films and such, I think, to stay true to the wanted people to read it and be like, oh, this is what elves are like. This is what I'm familiar with. Whereas today, it's much more like, well, I'm going to take this kind of loose concept, but I'm going to make it what I want it to be and not worry so much about whether that makes sense with the older folklore or not, you know. And, you know, and there, there's pros and cons to both of those. I mean, the thing about folk folklore even i mean up until like the 20th century when people started like really being scholars of it or writing it down like folklore was a living changing 
thing. Uh, and it we, still we, is. Yeah. And now so. it still is. And so, it, you know, it's, it's in the spirit of folklore to kind of fanfic yeah. it, basically. <laughs> you just it, you just get a different feel, I think. Yeah. From one versus the other. Um, you know, when you're when you're when you have stuff that's more strongly on the folklore, like Labyrinth, even when you're being super creative with it, it, it feels plausible somehow like you you can kind of watch it and be like i i honestly feel like maybe this could happen <laughs> like yeah this is what this could be like whereas when you have the stuff that's more on the um very loosely based on and much more creative because you're not basing it on hundreds and hundreds of years of folk belief mm-hmm. that's kind of you know figured itself out and figured out what does and doesn't work you're gonna have stuff where it just if you stop it's not plausible um i mean as much as any of this is ever going to be plausible but you know the the idea of david bowie as this you know thousand year old goblin king stealing a baby completely plausible well yeah that is completely plausible (laughs) um but you know basically doing all who he seems to have you know some interest of some sort in that feels legitimate the way it comes out because it's never really overtly romantic Mm -hmm. but that subtext is always kind of there and there's a tension with it yeah, that, that very much like speaks to a lot of young people's first experience with like sexuality and yeah. all the sort of thing is like you, you don't want to kind of fully go and like just dip your toe in the water. Don't ever like vocalize anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, everything is subtext, <laughs> especially for like young queer sexuality. Like, you, you know, I think yeah. that's even more resonant for those of us who's like, oh, do I, do I want to look like that girl or do I want to kiss her or do I, or, or both? Or both. You're both. Yep. Oh boy. <laughs> and, and one of the best things about Labyrinth to me, obviously as someone who is queer and is going to, you know, queer up everything as much as possible if I can. Um, what I love about Labyrinth, unlike, you know, some other movies is that you really could make the Goblin King of Goblin Queen and the story works the exact exactly same. Exactly the same. Yeah. You could make yeah. Sarah into, you know, Samuel and it still works the exact same, you yeah. know? And to me, that's, that's part of the real beauty of it is you really can do that without changing any of it. Yeah. I mean, and when, when you look back at thousands of years of folklore, like yeah, looking back to like Greece and Rome and their versions of the the other crowd as sort of the nymphs and the spirits and those were and the folks that kind of hung around with like pan and like those were like overtly sexual beings in a way that was like not as accepted in the ancient Greek ideas of sexuality like to be a sexual being was to be like animalistic and bad so yeah. Like that, the, that resonated with that, that folklore resonated with sort of non-conventional sexuality or sexuality that went yeah. beyond what society wanted it to be. And it always has, and it continued to be that way. Like the fairies were the ones having the parties in the woods. Yep. Yeah. So well, and it, I, we definitely see that in the Western, um, Western European fairy lore too, that same kind of, and I think a lot of people get a little confused with this because it's not overt, like obscene mm-hmm. sexuality, which I think is what a lot of people expect because we have a lot of stereotypes when it comes to that concept it's it's more like what we find in labyrinth it's that sort of subtle but definitely strongly there you know and it's everywhere it's all over the place yeah and when when you're looking at that in like the context of like the middle ages or the rest like that was a lot of sex for them because there was you know contrasted when like the church said like don't even play music yeah too sexy yeah the you know the more they pushed back against that the the less effective that actually was but yeah you know and that that's actually the music and the dancing is a great example that you know this idea of fairies being sexual sometimes was just they they like to dance and they they would just dance whatever they wanted to and and it was magic that's the thing it's like that's why david bow was because like the music is is magic dance magic dance like yeah exactly uh well i will have to let you go but this has been a wonderful conversation 
Can't wait. We'll probably have keep you. talking about Labyrinth for another hour. Yeah, we'll have you back on. We'll talk about Labyrinth. We'll, we'll, we'll switch focus to Legend. And, and, talk and about then we'll it. probably still talk about Labyrinth. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, such a great movie. Now I, now I, you know, just yesterday listening to it, Magic Dance in the Car, my daughter's like, I want to go watch the Goblin King movie. Like, yeah. Good. I've, I've taught you well. I was going to say you've raised her well. Yes. And she knows to, you know, leave out some treats for the fairies if she wants to get her shoes back. Yeah. Oh, so my kids, they will actually say to me when they're looking for stuff, they'll be like, I can't find this mom. Should I leave something for the fairies? Yeah. And then yeah. they find their stuff. Yeah, exactly. Just like, it just, works. just don't be like me. If you leave cream out for the fairies, don't forget it. <laughs> Three <laughs> days later. That's, you know, get, bring it back in. <laughs> well, thank you, Morgan. Is there any, do you have any, like, you always have like seven books on the horizon do you have any books coming out in the next few months like um i have pagan or no that comes up let me rewind that and do the first one first which would make more sense pantheon's the norse comes out may 1st um and that's like a guide to the norse pantheon and 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 heathenry effectively and then august 1st i have pagan portals ac which is specifically looking at irish fairy believe i'm super proud of that one and um i do have a novel i wrote a high fantasy work which speaking of queering things up is just like fabulously ridiculous and queer and my main character is in her late 30s and has to wear glasses to see she's blind without them and is overweight and i'm really excited for that one because it's just a lot of representation that you don't sounds awesome yeah so i don't know for sure when that's coming out yet but soon awesome well i'm excited for all of those it's always wonderful to have you thank you so much we'll see you again (laughs) thank you for having me on it was really fun anytime you want to talk about labyrinth yes We'll have another Labyrinth episode probably. We'll have like a watch along maybe. That would be ridiculously fun. Or do just like like audio commentary. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Real Magic. As always, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating. Make sure you're subscribed and even leave us a review. We're going to be going on a brief hiatus for the month of March, just in order for me to get some books finished writing, um, other stuff done, maybe even take a little vacation. Who knows? We'll see. But we'll be back in April with more new episodes. Thank you so much for supporting the show and listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at FangirlingJess. You can find the show at Real Magic Pod on Twitter as well. We're also on Facebook and all around. So while we're gone, please listen to our back catalog of episodes. We've got quite a few now. And... Um, thank you. Have a great, great uh, spring break in March in Ostara. And just remember, when you ask for fairies for something, be ready for what you're going to get. Bye.